This is Human Coined, a series that unpacks the mechanics of public finance, the complexities of democracy, and the societies they ultimately shape. I'm your host, Jeff Dubrow. Join me in a social dialogue that cracks open important issues that are too often ignored here at home and around the world. Dr. Peter Phillips, welcome back to the podcast. It is such a pleasure to have you as a guest again. Thank you. My pleasure. Good to see you. Uh, good to see you. Um, as you know, I'm in Colombo, Sri Lanka this week, working with civil society and parliament on the public debt situation and really looking forward to your guidance as a former finance minister, leader of the opposition, and as a sitting member of parliament. My, the, the intro I want to say is that, you know, obviously, as was the case in Jamaica in 2013, when uh, Jamaica was in debt distress and there was an extended fund facility with the, with the IMF, uh, Sri Lanka is in the very similar situation now. You know, here is the EFF. Um, mm -hmm. And what I find interesting is that unlike Jamaica and some of the other countries in the Caribbean, there is really no external monitoring of the implementation of the EFF in terms of the debt targets, uh, the the fiscal targets, uh, and and the and the the austerity not the austerity well the austerity plans, but but certainly the the reforms that are required in terms of state-owned enterprises. What is your first reaction to that? My first reaction is that it proved to be very good in our case in Jamaica to have the wider society, civil society groups and other stakeholders, particularly the financial sector, the private sector generally, the trade unions, all participate in the monitoring um, of our program. But if truth be told, we actually didn't plan such an oversight. We came upon it because the public sentiments at the time when we were embarking on the program were so uh, generally distrustful of the program itself, of the government's commitment to doing the program and making certain, in the words of one of the trade union leaders, that we never walk this way again, uh, that the only response I had to, at the time as minister, to this level of distrust and bordering on general hostility was to say to them, okay, we will incorporate you as monitors of this program. We will give you all information on the state of the uh, public finances, um, except for anything that might be market sensitive or, or of any national security implication and that they would have all this information and they would be free to report 
to the public as they saw fit with some regular schedule. So there were yeah. regular meetings. It was jointly chaired by the governor of the Bank of Jamaica and a leading member of the private sector um, and had representation from the financial sector, the private sector organization generally, trade unions, farmers organizations, a broad spectrum. And it proved in the end to be very, very worthwhile because it built public confidence in what we were doing and, and, and placed particular pressure on the government to ensure that we met the terms of the agreement that we had entered into because it was clear that you know the the society it was going to be a very difficult program to implement there were going to be lots of hardships but the very minimum uh, commitment that we needed to give was that we were going to be uh, diligent and willing to be held accountable for the implementation of the program. Because quite frankly, this is one of the situations when the market has lost confidence in any country or is about to, the only way to do it is to restore confidence. And the only way to restore confidence is to get your public financial uh, balances back in order. And um, mm -hmm. so we established what was called EPOC, um, Economic Program Oversight Committee, which worked, which gave mm -hmm. quarterly reports. And now, quite frankly, the succeeding administration, which is drawn from a, another political party, maintained that organization. Um, it still exists and um, we'll be shortly putting in place a, a system for fiscal commissioners who will provide the same, who will fulfill the same function, which is namely to provide the public with a clear, transparent, uh, regular account as to the government's perf fiscal performance. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's absolutely essential. If you are not going to continue all the suspicions about the government's commitment to the program, the government's willingness to do it, and when the hardships come, it is always good to have some alternative voice to the government's voice explaining why these hardships are absolutely necessary if the country is to be able to transcend the current difficulties and to find itself ultimately in a place where it can grow the economy again, improve incomes and improve the quality of life of ordinary people. So was the, the mandate of the EPOC set in legislation? 
it wasn't set in legislation, but it was set in an agreement. Um, okay. That was a memorandum of understanding that was signed off on by everyone. I see. The current fiscal commissioner's arrangement is in legislation. No, right. so it, it has generated not only widespread acceptance of the principle, but mm -hmm. ultimately created what I would say is a permanent arrangement of fiscal accountability being supervised by by some official um, organization. So it's a it's a fiscal council in a sense that's responsible for reviewing whether the government is or scrutinizing Current whether the government time, yeah but that was what epoch was a fiscal right. council of sorts yes right and now you've formalized that in legislation absolutely um, and i think if i'm not mistaken the auditor general also had a role at the time uh or was yes, mandated the, to the, play a role the auditor general's role and um which continues was came about by another route in that there was the provision in fiscal accountability legislation, fiscal responsibility framework mm -hmm. act, we call it, uh, which was passed even before the 2013 program got underway. But ultimately, Part of the arrangement which we had to formalize was to ensure that there was some parliamentary oversight for mm -hmm. the budgets, effective rather than formalistic, which often occurs. And mm -hmm. so a we, we, there was a public administration and appropriations committee of parliament established which mm -hmm. was chaired and still is chaired by a member of the opposition and that is provided for in law and it was also required that the auditor general's office provide a report to that committee about the extent to which each budget, including supplementary budgets, accorded with the rules of the uh, fiscal responsibility framework. Mm -hmm. uh, it, was, it was our attempt to create something analogous to the um, parliamentary budget office in the UK or the Congressional Budget Office mm -hmm. in the US mm -hmm. to have some independent entity sign off and report to the parliament that in fact what was being done was, was uh, meeting the rules of the um, parliament. And so we are um, mm -hmm. of the legislation. Now, so we, because our Auditor General had established a reputation for integrity and was generally accepted by all stakeholders. 
we thought that even though this wasn't an audit function as such, we would ask them to 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 develop this um this capacity um to do yeah. that and get the appropriate personnel but that mm -hmm. that is being absorbed now in the fiscal council and so right. you know it's all that you will need is to ensure that over time it acquires an as as a similar level of of regard and esteem with the public um, for the integrity of its reporting. And uh, interestingly enough, as you, I'm, I know you're aware, uh, the Sri Lankan parliament did pass uh, a law very recently to enact a parliamentary budget office. However, that office does not yet exist. And um, you know, my understanding uh, is that it takes, it could take years to develop a parliamentary budget office that actually has capacity procedures, not, not to mention going through the appointment process. So I guess in a sense, they're, they're taking the alternate approach, uh, the mirror image of what Jamaica did, which is creating a, creating a body to do the monitoring. But in the meantime, there's a void. There is no, you know, that body exists on paper, but, but it doesn't exist in reality. I can't, you know, I'm obviously no expert on the political economy of Sri Lanka. Mm -hmm. But I think I can speak for Jamaica and mm -hmm. to some degree for other countries in the Caribbean who have had uh, IMF programs to deal with. And I can't stress too much how valuable it is to have some independent supporting voices to help relieve the, the mistrust which all political authority faces in situations such as this, when you're going to have to adjust revenues, do a lot of revenue raising, when you're likely to have to uh, reduce expenditures, to the to just the essential elements, and uh, and when you're going to have to do a lot of difficult things um, in terms of uh, the the sale of public enterprises and the like, in order to bring about some healthy fiscal balances, all of those things in a general situation of hardship on the part of the public makes for much difficulty for political authority. And you can, it's a very lonely place for ministers of finance and for prime ministers to be in. And, um, you know, I, I've often remarked, you know, just as an aside that, you know, the when it comes to the expenditure side of the budget in the parliament, you know, everybody's in favor of the expenditure side, but usually when it comes to the revenue side, ministers of finance stand alone and are, and are fortunate when they have prime ministerial support alongside them as well. So it's very important, I think, for any, any 
any administration to to avail itself of some of some kind of support and and in fact to be able to uh, to utilize this support not just in terms of providing a a face card, a covering, so to speak, a mask behind which a government can can locate itself, but more so to to become genuine participants and to assist in thinking through how to do some of the things that need to be done, um, because that also shares some of the responsibility. But also, yeah. it, um, you know, you're going to find that no one, including the fund officials themselves, have the answer to all the challenges that are before the country. Absolutely. You know, that, You've raised you know, a, a, a Working that... through those challenges as you go along. Yeah, sorry. actually, you've raised it in value. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I'm saying I had interrupted you. So go ahead. Oh, not at all. Not at all. But I was going to say, uh, you, you raise a really invaluable point. You know, I, I, I think when we look at the, the problems that the world is facing globally, government cannot solve all of those problems. And so to have, a, 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 to have an, an IMF agreement where the government is exclusively responsible for implementation without consulting other, without a formal mechanism to in, incorporate other sectors into the decision making and the consultations and the monitoring. I think you're right. I think that's a that's a very important point. The other thing I want to just mention is I. So in fact, in the Jamaican case, you had almost a dual strategy. You had the EPOC, the Economic Program uh, Oversight Committee, but you also had the Auditor General. So you you were able to tap into some capacity in the Auditor General's office. Uh, and you were able to create a body. How long did it take to create the epoch? Epoch was almost instantaneous because we had had a pretty long run up to the to securing an agreement, uh, um, so that there was lots of dialogue going on with the banks who were forced to. Uh, uh, engage in a second debt exchange within two years, uh, uh, you know, approximately. Uh, the trade unions, which were being asked to endure a wage freeze at the time, and so they were all, um, and 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 the general public, including pensioners and others who were who were going to be asked to endure very tight and restrictive budgets. And so in that kind of context, uh, we, we, we had to be assuring the fund because we were coming um, against the backdrop of, of what had been a collapse of a previous program during a previous administration, previous political administration. And there was what I would quite frankly call a kind of trust deficit all around. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There was a trust deficit on the part of the the fund, especially in the early early days of the new program. There was a trust deficit on the part of the 
banks and the financial system that the government was going to be exercising adequate diligence to ensure that, you know, we weren't just going to cause their own financial collapse and reduce their profitability. There was a trust deficit on the part of the trade unions who were uncertain how long these wage freezes were going to last. But it was a trust deficit that was relieved in part by the fact that everybody understood that there was no alternative but to have some correction of the public fiscal accounts that mm -hmm. existed and that the fiscal imbalances could not be allowed to continue and that we had to return to a to a situation of debt sustainability what mm -hmm. people doubted was was the political will was whether the political will existed and you couldn't convince them of political will well i didn't believe it was either desirable or fair to the stakeholders to simply repeat to them that you were determined that you would do this you had to give some you had to you had to be sure that you were willing to forego some of your normal privileges or powers and you are prepared to be transparent you know, that you were prepared to let everybody know what was occurring day by day blow by blow so that they could understand where problems arose and 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 participate so to speak in 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 your experience of the difficulties there's one other thing which is not which wasn't absolutely essential, wasn't part of the program or any agreement, so to speak. But our examination of our own experience in Jamaica found that part of the problem with meeting what was for us quarterly reviews in the first instance, and I believe in Sri Lanka there are six monthly reviews from the fund was that there were oftentimes various agencies within government had responsibilities under the program to complete a particular of banking course. transaction sure. to Absolutely. prepare an entity for privatization uh, Absolutely. To undertake the preparation of new legislation. And oftentimes what happened was that because these activities were not, so to speak, the central preoccupation of a lot of these agencies, people forgot about them, relatively speaking, until the review was imminent. Huh? And then everybody was scrambling to meet the IMF target. And oftentimes this happened, um, they, they, they failed to meet the target adequately or were trying to 
give a paint a positive picture when in fact targets had been had had really been failed and we we established an implementation unit in the ministry we recruited someone from the private sector though they were having recruited them they became part of the public sector but they were they had the the can do attitudes and the the kind of sense of efficiency and and operational uh, standards typical of the private sector so and in a their sense this is kind of deliverology to monitor continuously the performance of the various agencies that had responsibilities under the program and to get themselves um and to ensure that all the obligations of the government were going to be fulfilled in time and their 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 remit was essentially to ensure that if they saw an a target a conditionality which was in danger of 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 not being met then they needed to report to me directly as the minister and i made it my my duty to to get onto the to my cabinet colleague or the head of that entity to ensure that we miss no targets and in fact we missed no targets during the entire period of the program and it wasn't so just due to epoch although epoch was important but it was due to it was due also to the head of this implementation unit who was also a member of epoch we put them on epoch because they also could oh. give, could report directly that's absolutely fascinating. So, so uh, essentially, what we're talking about is this sort of a, a offshoot of deliverology, in a sense, right? The the, the yeah. famous UK, uh, I think it's from Michael Barber, if I'm not mistaken, or I hope I'm not getting his name wrong, but sort of the the idea that there's a monitoring unit that's that's ensuring that government priorities are being implemented, and it sounds. But on the wider scale, I think what you're talking about here is a business case that civil society can make to government. Not just to say, you know, obviously if they say it in a, a more confrontational way that we want to be involved uh, and they're, you know, you should let us in, that's one thing, or that could be perceived as confrontational, but you're talking about sort of a business case based on, uh, you know, the, the need that inclusivity could build public trust or rebuild public trust. Uh, having solutions and perspective of key stakeholders in society during a key time in economic and political transition is essential uh, and also the ability to 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 press line ministries and agencies responsible for implementation uh, to ensure that they're enacting the the key requirements and benchmarks of the program you want to hear about it before not after right they have failed you and 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 it's important you know i think there is particularly in developing countries 
there is a general question of what I would call the levels of financial literacy that mm -hmm. are shared with the general populace. And, and while it will be a long process, and while many people might think that it, there is very little potential benefit, I think having the population as a whole begin to understand some of the issues, why it is that countries will not lend to an overly in the countries, banks, financial institutions, multilaterals and bilateral will not lend if you're over indebted. You know, that the people need to understand that. They need to understand what are the risks of printing money that are not that are not backed by any assets. Uh, they, they, it, it's a long process, but it becomes important over time. And indeed, if you have a properly understanding public, then it becomes the, the, the clearest and most effective protection against fiscal irresponsibility. Hmm? Mm -hmm. I mean, there are many countries which no minister could pass an inflationary budget because those countries have experienced the effects of rampant inflation and there's almost a, 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 a general public revulsion at any prospect of that. I mean, one such country would be Germany, for example, having had all of this experience of the 1920s and, you know. So, Weimar Republic. Yeah, a uh, hundred years ago, but it's still inscribed mm -hmm. in the mentality of the, of the populace. And I think, um, we, we have managed in Jamaica to some degree to make people understand the importance of a manageable debt. Um, and, you know, part of what helped contribute to that is that EPOC was required not just to report, but they, every, every quarter or every month it was in the initial phase, they published a report in simple terms understandable by the general public about what the situation was. Interesting. You know? That's that's yeah, that's 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 really helpful. And I, I cynically thought about the IM and I, I shouldn't say maybe I shouldn't be saying this, but I, I cynically thought about the IMF. They they've got a a dashboard um related to all the critical benchmarks for the EFF. And you can find it online very easily and it says, you know, it, it basically yeah. says, well, this has been met, and that's been met, and this has been met, and this is, has not yet been met. So, for example, the passage of a, a, a PBO law or PFM reform, either it's met or it's not met. But yeah, it's a little simpler. That helps. But, the, but it's very important to get your population understanding. Because right. often, often, oftentimes, you know, depending on the nature of the political environment, you have people just adopting 
diametrically opposed positions with very little understanding of how the global political economy works. Can and you provide an example of that? What do you think? What do you like? Can you provide an example? Well, about the diametrically opposed positions. Well, I would I, I would think of um, trade unions that are insisting on uh, wage increases at a certain level, which right. just can't be afforded. You know, you people have to understand that if you are in a situation where you're spending eighty percent of your budget paying interest and wages, that if you were to if you stop paying interest, what are the consequences to you um, of a debt default? Or what are, what it would mean in effect for healthcare and education and the others, because you would end up paying, paying salaries, but having no money to do for, for the workers to do anything, because right. you would be able to afford the medicines in the health sector, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. These sure. are, no, you great. know, and it's sometimes very difficult because there is a sense in which, you know, there is a valid claim that injustice is being done because oftentimes the, the you know, small countries and poorer countries are being forced to apply very stringent budgetary measures to reward financial institutions, banks, and other countries which are better off. But it is, and and there is a, you know, I, talking for myself, you can often understand the 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 incomprehension that many people have about these matters, but. It's the the fact is that it is a simple matter of the of the power calculus, the equations of power that exist in the world, and the very limited room for maneuver that exists for small countries that are dependent on the global market and dependent on access to other countries to sell their goods and the like. Um, mm. It's just a sad reality, but it also points to the fact that even as you are adjusting your own domestic conditions to meet the requirements of a program, you should not. You should continue to participate in the global diplomacy, so to speak, to try to have greater understanding of the need for debt forgiveness and uh, and for more finances becoming available to small developing countries um, on better terms. You know, it's not an either or, I think, no. but, 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 but we need to recognize the stringencies of the market and the exigencies of the market as they apply to, um, to, um, highly indebted countries. Yeah, and, and um, that, that's a very good point. Um, and in fact, that's something that uh, civil society can do, uh, which is advocate Absolutely. for debt forgiveness, advocate for a more equitable system where, where the lenders have more 
responsibility or take more responsibility, not 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 just to focus entirely on the borrowers. I, I want to uh, wrap up with a with a last question, and I am famous for saying last question and then slipping in another question. But so this is probably going to be the second to last question. Do you have is there anything you would have done differently? You've you know we we've sort of built a cumulative list. Uh, we talked about the epoch. We talked about the auditor general. We talked about the public uh, uh, appropriations and accounts committee, mm. uh, and we talked about uh, the implementation unit within the Ministry of Finance. Is there anything that you would have done differently uh, when it comes to the monitoring efforts that were that were undertaken um, in Jamaica starting in 2013? Um. You know, I, I I think that the there's nothing really, excepting that I believe getting all elements of political authority, that is to say, all the ministers and the and the permanent secretaries and others in various areas of the government to treat the program and the program implementation with the kind of urgencies that would have helped to get growth returning more quickly to the country, economic growth. Huh? So that um, the, the, the benefits such as they were from, to flow from an improved standard of living would be visible earlier. How is it possible that key functionaries in government, parliament and elsewhere wouldn't see the urgency of a debt crisis and the offshoot. And I, I'll tell you that I, I, I don't disagree with you because I see that in the countries that I work in. The lack of urgency, parliaments sleepwalking through the debt crisis. Why does that happen? You know, it is, it is, it is the difference between accepting that you'll be punished by the market and recognizing that you can nevertheless benefit from the market if you if you adapt it and manipulate it for your own benefit there were many people who there were some people, probably put it more accurately, who at all levels, who accepted that the fund was requiring these things in terms of conditionalities and, you know, performance targets, but who did not make the effort to internalize the basic rationale of the market, which well, the required whole these changes mm -hmm. to, take, to take place. That's a very good point. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Um, yes, meeting, meeting the IMF targets first, because it is, uh, sadly, in many countries, in most countries, yeah, I think it is easier, in a way, to undertake difficult reforms when the bad cop comes in. Yeah. But what you're saying is that in, in many cases, even when those reforms are being undertaken, there's, the countries have not internalized themselves the need, the urgent need to do that. And so the leadership is lacking. Is that what, what you're saying? And you have to, yeah, that's what I'm saying. And, and yeah. you have to understand that that many countries kind of emerged in, into independence or emerged from colonialism with a whole different vision of state-centered development involving highly centralized um, states and um, very dirigist and lots of directions from the center. And in fact, with great hostility to the market itself, you know, to the idea of markets. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the many individuals schooled in this kind of doctrine uh, are making accommodations now, but the, these oftentimes you find that it is a, a relatively small segment of very senior officials who accept the, the, the rationale of the programs, but you have a whole layer of officials mm. below who are who are non-believers, so to speak. And, and Sri Lanka is, I believe, a socialist republic. And and it's not a matter of making a value judgment as to whether that is, you know, socialism versus capitalism. I think that that dichotomy probably no longer exists the way it did 20, 30 years ago. But countries that are using those markets, that are borrowing from the private sector, that are borrowing from multilateral and bilateral lenders, probably need to have some savviness around how to do that if they've made the choice to, to, to do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, well, you know, it's a whole other thing as to whether the kind of oversight to make enterprises work that would be required um, in what you know you might call socialist economies, whether that does exist or can exist in the near term in um, in in developing countries, you know. Yeah, as That's usual, you're. It is, but as usual, the depth of your insights is, uh, knows, knows very little, knows few bounds. Uh, this will be the last question, I promise. Um, the only thing that I noticed in Jamaica, you know, in 2020, when I was, when I was doing some work in Jamaica, and I was sitting in the Ministry of Finance, and as you know, you know, you've got some very sharp minds in that ministry. Uh, I'm sure many of them got their start when you were finance minister or before. But one of the things that really shocked me, and again, you're sitting with the sharpest minds in the country, maybe that of the you know, Ministry of Finance, the central bank is in terms of the, the, the bureaucrats go. There was really no understanding about equity, how to develop equitable programs, 
how to develop how to develop you know sort of gender responsive budgeting how to develop gender based analysis plus that looks mm. at you know the effect of 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 programs and 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 um, services on vulnerable population groups and i remember the prime minister at the time uh, coming out with uh you know a particular uh it was budget time and i think the prime minister came up with some specific provision or program in the budget that was going to support women and i sort of asked well how did that get developed what was the methodology behind that and I, what i was told was that it was essentially political and and so i think that's the one thing that you know looking at the sri lankan case is there ways are there ways of building in with all these monitoring mechanisms that we've talked about more inclusivity so that the most vulnerable people are not being left out of the uh, of, of the of the transformation it seems to me generally um that the fund the imf more and more in fact it was jamaica was the first um program that had a specific uh provision for a minimum levels of social expenditure to as a as a as a as a means of ensuring that there would be some some equity but by the same token uh, while i think the principle is accepted it it does require a a certain level of uh competence understanding uh innovativeness to fashion programs institutions in the context of market driven economies that can deliver um greater levels of equity you know, for workers for women for young people etc you know um and uh it is in that latter area that i think a lot more experience needs to and capacity for innovation needs to be developed dr phillips i want to sincerely thank you for taking the time not only to uh you know participate in this podcast interview but to help me better understand in the work that i do uh the importance of monitoring um you know the ways that monitoring of such agreements like the EFF here in Sri Lanka can 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 be successful. Uh, I really appreciate what I'm going to call your mentoring on that subject. Thank you. Thank you very much. Very I enjoyed it very much. See you Wonderful. soon. Look forward to it. Take care now. Human Coined is an integral part of Nexus PFM Consulting. If you enjoyed this episode, you can also find us on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app. If you have any questions about the work we do, you can contact us at info at nexuspfm.com.